Good morning, or oh, good afternoon now, I think, or... <laughs> Welcome, everyone, um, to Life in Your Church, and thank you so much for being here. see so many people here. Um, I, think, I think this is the most I've ever seen in, um, in this space on a Sunday morning, which is, which is wonderful. And it's obviously always really nice when we get together as a, as a one church family as well. We get to see, you know, all of us from across the different sites and um, particularly special this morning because we are celebrating Black History Month. Um, and I remember when we did this last year, I actually can't believe that it's been 12 months. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. Um, I don't know whether that's a sign of aging um but it's it's just gone by so quickly but it was such a wonderful time um and you know we really enjoyed ourselves we loved the worship and um and the food and everything and i know um that um I know that lots of people here are probably here for the food, and that's fine. Um, but I, I hope that this is an opportunity to be to be fed in lots of other ways. So um David um gave me the the task of speaking today, um, which is uh, a massive privilege, so thank you. Um, helpfully, he gave me absolutely no topic, no brief, no guidance of any kind. Um, <laughs> so, um, something along the lines of as the spirit leads. So, um, but actually what I realised was that um, when I was thinking and praying about what I wanted to say today, um, I realised that actually you know, Black History Month, it ties in really nicely with the theme that we've been exploring over the last few weeks, which is the life we were made for. So if you haven't had a chance to, to listen to the talks from the, the previous weeks, then I would really encourage you to do so because they have, they've been wonderful um, and there's been so much gold, so much that, um, that we can all be blessed by. So do go back and have a little look. So, Black History Month. Well, for those of us that are a bit unfamiliar with it, um, as um, Auntie Faye said, um, this is um, something that was introduced into the West, um, I think it's about 30, 40 years ago, and it was just a way of kind of acknowledging and celebrating the, the contributions of people from Black and Caribbean heritage to, to kind of Western society. Um, you know, we know that sadly a lot of black history has been about kind of oppression and suppression. Um, and the things that black people experienced, they resulted in them losing their, their homes and their families, but also they lost a lot of their culture and their identity. Um, and I think it, it's just been wonderful that we have this chance to celebrate black history and black culture. Um, it's just an opportunity to kind of take notice again um, and just acknowledge that there's a really rich and beautiful culture that comes out of Africa and the Caribbean. And it's been, you know, um, about putting names to the faces of people um, who have had, you know, massive contributions to shaping our society now, who have made contributions in, in human rights and sports and in, in science and so many other things. Um, and I think the really amazing thing is that as we celebrate and honour these people that have come before us, it also empowers, you know, those of us in today's society to step out. You know, it tells people that they have an identity and that they have something to contribute. You know, I personally have been, you know, really excited by things like the, the, the black natural hair movement, which has been about, you know, black women ditching the relaxers and embracing their curls and coils again. Um, you know, we've seen black athletes and sports people, you know, not watching from the sidelines anymore, but actually stepping out and often dominating on the track and field. And, you know, we have, you know, amazing national events like Carnival celebrating Caribbean culture as well. Um, and, and while we have a very long way to go, it's been really beautiful to see people stepping out as their authentic selves and being honoured for that. But the, the message of Black History Month isn't, isn't just for black people. 
I think it's a message for all of us. Um, and it's about seeing you know, that we are all worth something, that we all have something to contribute and that we all have an identity. So, um, in that vein, and in line with the theme, The Life We Were Made For, um, I've entitled today's talk, Embracing Your Authenticity. So, bear with me, because this morning it's not meant to be um, self-indulgent. It's not meant to be about kind of self-actualization or self-realization or, or whatever the end thing is at the moment. And it's not just about feeling good about ourselves. I think it's the opposite. You know, one of the things that I love about the vineyard is that it's a very outward-focused ministry. I think the church is, it's been so amazing, um, you know, things that I've seen that the church do, um, you know, looking out to, to bless the community and further the kingdom of God. But what I've learned over the years is that you, you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, you have to keep your, your own spiritual cup full so that you have something to pour out to other people. And so when we, we take those times to explore ourselves and to um, explore our, our personal walk with God and our personal identity, it's about building ourselves up so that we can then go out and bless others. So I'm going to add a little tagline to the title of the talk, which is Embracing Your Authenticity for the Glory of God. So over the next 20 minutes or so, um, and I'm going to say 20 minutes in inverted commas, um, I'd like to talk about what it means to be authentic, what scripture tells us about Jesus' authenticity, why authenticity is important in the kingdom of God, and how we can begin to embrace our God-given authentic identity. So my anchor scripture for this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, and it's from verses 14 to 16, and it says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So what does it mean to be authentic? Well, the dictionary defines authenticity as being of undisputed origin or authorship, genuine, accurate, trustworthy, and reliable. So essentially, it means being the real deal. You know, we live in a society in which you know, we're, we're on, under constant pressure to kind of conform and fit in. We're continually bombarded with information about you know, what's the style and the colour of the season, you know, what's the must-have gadget or toy, the must-visit holiday destination, the must-watch Netflix series. You know, we're at the mercy of this brand new phenomenon, the influencer, who's kind of ready and positioned to guide us on our path to social acceptance. But then at the same time, you know, while not straying too far from what society says is acceptable, we also have to be the ultimate individual. Society says, you know, you've got to break free, you've got to be you, be a trendsetter, stand out. It's an absolute minefield. So how do we even begin to navigate that? Well, Christian authenticity is about accepting the uniqueness of who God has made you to be and embracing that to fulfill his purpose. It means not shying away from who we actually are, nor trying to be something that we were never meant to be. Like everything in our Christian walk, then you know, we take cues from the one who sets the standard. The Bible tells us that Jesus gave us a model that we should follow. So I'd like us to think about you know, what we learn about authenticity from the life of Jesus. And there were four things in particular that I wanted us to, to look at. 
Number one, Jesus knew his identity. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we see Jesus declaring, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the gospel is, is absolutely filled with declarations like this that showed that you know, Jesus' identity was not a mystery to him. You know, even from a really early age, we have the account from when Jesus was 12 years old and his parents had lost him. And when they eventually found him in, in the temple, he said, you know, where else would I be except for in my father's house? He knew exactly who he was. Second, Jesus didn't conform to societal expectation in order to fit in. You know, the Jewish people and the religious leaders of his, his day were, were outraged by so much of what Jesus did. In, in particular, you know, he, he liked to eat with kind of sinners and disreputable people. Um, and, and people thought that this was just totally unacceptable. But Jesus knew that these were the ones that he'd come to save. And he didn't let their judgment and disapproval prevent him from reaching the lost. He knew that he had a purpose and he was determined to fulfill it. And thirdly, Jesus honoured his connection to the Father. There's um, a really powerful account in John chapter 8 where we see Jesus declaring himself as the light of the world. Um, but the Pharisees, you know, they, they were not at all impressed by this. And they, they basically told him, you know, you can't testify for yourself. That's not, that's not a valid testimony. But Jesus said, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. I know where I came from and where I'm going. He was proud to be connected to the Father, and that empowered him to speak out. And fourth, Jesus recognised his place in the Godhead. In John chapter 17, verse 21, we read Jesus' words where he said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. And in John 15, 26, Jesus said to his disciples, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. You know, Jesus understood that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were, were one, but had different functions. And he recognised that the Father had the authority to send forth the Son, and that he, the Son, had the authority to send forth the Spirit. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't try to make himself equal to God. He didn't have an inferiority complex. He knew who he was. But he knew that for God's purpose to be fulfilled, each member of the Godhead needed to fulfill its individual role. And he fulfilled his to perfection. He was authentic, and his authenticity enabled God's will to be fulfilled through him. So what about us? Well, we're called to be imitators of Christ. And so in order to be authentic, like Jesus, we need to know our identity. And the scripture is, is absolutely packed with references to our Christian identity. A few examples, John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, it tells us that all who believe in Christ have been given the right to be called children of God, were born of God and adopted into his family. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, describes us as God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Romans chapter 6, verse 45, tells us that our old selves have passed away, buried with Christ, and that we've been raised with him to walk in the newness of life. You know, we know that we belong to the family of God. Our identity is found in nobody else except for Christ Jesus. Number two, we need to reject societal expectations that conflict with our Christian identity. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus reminded his followers that although we're in the world, we're no part of the world. 
that we no longer align with its desires and its values. And this is true of every aspect of our lives, from our relationships, from our parenting, from our work, from our, to our view of kind of status and money. You know, we're, re we're reminded that the world and its desires are passing away. We're warned about being tossed about by every wave of doctrine, every kind of new fad and trend that comes around. So like Jesus, we need to dare to be different, not to make a name for ourselves um, or to, you know, to be a, a trendsetter or an individual, but because we understand that worldly values are hollow and perishable, but our identity in Christ is eternal. Third, we need to honour our connection. So in John 15, Jesus describes himself as the true vine and that his father is the vine dresser. And he tells us that you know, we need to stay connected to him in order to, to keep bearing good spiritual fruit. So like Jesus, we understand where we've come from and where we're going. The Bible reminds us that you know, we're from God. That is our identity. It's our birthmark. And we know that we've been born by the blood into the family of God. And Jesus also tells us that he's gone ahead to prepare a place for us. So we, we know where we're going. But we have this time here in the in-between. And it's temporary and fleeting. But while we're here, we have a purpose. You know, like Jesus, he knew his life on earth was, was temporary. But there was, there was a purpose. There was a commission. And there was work to be done. And so fourthly, to be authentic like Jesus, we need to recognize our place in the kingdom of God. We as a church, we have a responsibility in the fulfillment of God's plan for mankind. And as a mirror of the Godhead, we each have a role to play in order for that purpose to be fulfilled. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses four to six says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. So we're one, we have one God, we have one purpose, but God has made each of us different, not by accident, but on purpose for his divine purpose. Continuing on that passage from verses seven to 11, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I particularly love verse seven that says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. You know, we need to be authentic, but it's not for us and it's not about us. It's about the body of Christ. Who I am is to enable you to be who you are. And who you are is to enable me to be who I am. And who we are together as a church is to enable those out there in the world to be who God has called them to be. So who are we to shun that? You know, if one of us hides who they are, then we all lack something. God uses our differences to, divide, to fulfill his divine purpose. I'd like to give 
a personal example. So a few years ago, George and I, on our anniversary, George was my husband, he was the person leading worship for, um, for those who don't know him. Um, a few years ago, we decided that it might be interesting to do a personality test, just to kind of, just to see. I had a few questions I needed answering. So we decided to do <laughs> the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Some people might have come across it before. Basically, it's a test that takes you through a series of questions which are designed to kind of tease out different facets of your personality, and then it builds a profile about you based on your answers. And it looks at four different domains, show up there, and they come in, in pairs that form a spectrum. So the four domains are extroversion and introversion, um, and this is apparently how we are empowered and how we respond to internal and external stimuli. So, Broadly speaking, extroverts are energised by their external environment and introverts by their internal environment. Then there's sensing and intuition, and this is how we learn and process information. So sensors process information through their senses using facts and details, whereas intuitives enjoy concepts and imagining possibilities. Then there's thinking and feeling, and this is about how we make decisions. So thinkers value logic and reasoning, whereas feelers value harmony. They're very empathetic and very concerned about kind of how others feel. And then the last category is judging and perceiving. And this is about how we deal with the world around us. So judges like to plan and they value order and completeness, whereas perceivers are much more flexible and spontaneous. They like to improvise and make things up as, you know, kind of make the rules up as they go along. So then at the end of the test, you receive one of 16 personality profiles based on your combination um, of these four domains. So, at the end, my profile came out as an ISTJ, summarised as the responsible executor. Now you can probably guess where this is going. <laughs> Jojo's profile came out as ENFP, the passionate catalyst. Basically, in all four domains, he came out as my exact opposite. There was absolutely no overlap whatsoever. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humour. But in all seriousness, I learned a really important lesson that day, that God knows what he's doing. You know, why would he call two people so clearly on opposite ends of the personality spectrum to do life together? Because he understands the importance of bringing together diverse gifts and callings to execute tasks. You know, who I am was made to complement who my husband is, and I know that no one but me could do it better. We elevate each other, we drive each other, we rein each other in when necessary, and we cover for each other's weaknesses. And, and while we're clearly very, very different, we are united by our love for God and a shared purpose to bring glory to him. You know, we can't all be the same. Now, being a passionate catalyst definitely sounds a lot more exciting than being a responsible executor, but it is who I am. And if I resented or shied away from who God had called me to be in the context of my marriage, then God's beautiful plan for my marriage just wouldn't have been executed in the way that God had intended. So likewise, the body of Christ is made up of diverse members designed as individual parts to complement the others. 
As beings created in God's image, we each have a personal God-given identity. We have a unique blend of gifts and characteristics that are given to us and to us alone to glorify God and to build the body of Christ. You know, without you being fully you, I can't be fully me. We need each other to get where we're going. We need to be authentic. So I'm going to start to come into land. So who are you? What is your God-given authentic identity? It's, it's a really difficult question to answer. Last week, David read this scripture, and I felt it was really apt for today as well. And it was from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Just the second part, which says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what do you see when you look in the mirror? From personal experience, I know that what we see isn't always the most inspiring. For a long time, when I looked at myself, I saw somebody who was too short, not thin enough, too opinionated, kind of fiery-tempered, someone who didn't really have enough patience, socially awkward, really struggled to make friends very easily, and who was easily overlooked. I saw somebody who was too driven, too single-minded, a little bit obsessive about things, and quite inflexible. I didn't really see a lot that I liked. But God is slowly teaching me to see what he sees. Um, And in my quiet time with him, he speaks words of love over me. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. He says, you're cautious as somebody who's cradling a precious gem because you recognize your worth. He says, you choose your friends slowly and carefully because you understand the importance of protecting your personal space. But when you do make friends, you love them deeply. He says, you appreciate the beauty that's found in order and structure, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. After all, that's how the universe was built. He says, you're thorough and you're detail-oriented, and because of this, you get to uncover treasures that others might overlook. He says that mighty things often come in the smallest packages. Remember the mustard seed. God is helping me to change the narrative around who I am, and that enables me to more fully step into his plan for me. And I know that I have a place in his kingdom and that he has made me as I am for a purpose. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect, far, far from it. So I need to keep on asking God to search me and to help me to work on the things that don't align with his character. And it's a process. We started off by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And verse 15 says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. We often find that fear stops us from embracing our God-given identity because we wonder if we're enough. But until we step out, we really have no idea what God has put within us, we have no idea what we're capable of. God doesn't do anything by accident, so we might not understand his purpose for us yet, but the good news is that we don't have to have it all figured out at once. Even in our ignorance, we can still step out in faith. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says that the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. God's revelation is progressive. And further, God's power is often revealed in the doing. You know, we see that throughout scripture. God, God didn't multiply the bread and the fish while it was sitting in the basket. 
he multiplied it in the distribution. The 10 lepers who encountered Jesus, they didn't receive their healing as they were standing before Jesus. It was as they were going out in obedience to what Jesus said that they became whole. Even when Jesus turned the water into wine, you know, there was, there was no manifestation of this, of this miracle. There was no kind of bubbling or explosion. It was when they drew it out and tasted it that they realized that the transformation had happened. So if we're sitting on our hands waiting for God to use us, we're going to be waiting for a really long time. It's when we step out in faith that God does his work. So be authentic. Embrace your God-given authentic identity. I'm going to finish with just one final passage, and that's from the book of Romans chapter 12, and verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to this pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So I'm going to finish with a few do's and don'ts. Don't waste your time trying to be what the world says you should be. Don't substitute your God-given identity for an identity that tries to live up to shallow, fleeting, worldly standards. Don't strive for false individualism that honours the self rather than glorifying God. And don't hide or resent your true, beautiful, godly identity out of fear, shame, or ungodly comparison. Do remember where you've come from and where you're going. Do ask God to reveal his purpose for your life in his kingdom. Do step out in faith, even if the pieces don't quite look like they fit together. And do live an authentic, God-centered life that seeks to build up the body of Christ and most importantly, glorifies God.